Welcome to the Rob at Desk Podcast. I am Rob Blasey. Thank you so much for listening. It is so encouraging to see more and more listens every every day, actually. So thank you so much for listening. Today, Dr. James Klopovic, retired United States Air Force Major, holds a doctor in public policy, wrote a book, Becoming a New Wave Leader, Principles and Practice to Live in the Dr. James Klopovic, he has a lot of war stories, some which are true, some go back to Vietnam, and excuse the repetition, but he's lived in a dictatorship under the Marcos Philippines, he's lived in Iran during the fall of the Shah, and still, he's been in the Kremlin and briefed by a communist boss, it gives him pause, but in the older he gets, he's sincerely glad to have been born in the greatest country in the history of anyone can succeed if they works for it, work hard, fail often, do well. Dr. James Klopovic, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I am so happy to be here. I really am. It's a great opportunity to, to talk to good and new people. I appreciate it. You, we joked before uh, the recording, you uh, plagiarized Einstein a little bit. I kind of plagiarized your email there to intro you, at least uh, talking about you a little bit here with your, you have, it looks like, endless stories and i don't even honestly it's like it's one of those i don't even know where to start but i'll be the the first one i would actually be interested is what you're talking about how'd you get in iran while living under the shah ah uh i uh i am a retired air force officer and i uh, started out enlisted but then uh got a commission after going to school and after working some line jobs, uh, I was selected by the Department of Justice, uh, Department of Defense, pardon me. Mm-hmm. I did work a little bit with the Department of Justice, but that's another story. So I um, uh, selected to uh, advise the Imperial Iranian Air Force on the Persian Gulf, where the Shah was building a huge military industrial complex uh, based on the military and a nuclear reactor, a nuclear reactor that uh, has recently come online, and I'm willing to bet that's where the yellow cake is coming from for their eventual bomb. Oh. Um, it was uh, it was a different world over there. So, yes, I, I advised General Riahi for uh, 13 months on uh, how to put together the, the maintenance on the birds that they were buying from us back then. Uh, uh, just another experience. Uh, wow. If only for the fact that uh, Thursday and Friday is Saturday and Sunday. Try that on for a while. You never get used to that. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can imagine. And then because you've been working in the private and public sector for 45 years, helping yes. develop uh, leaders. And Indeed. so, like, you, you got out to Iran, and then now you also dealt with communist bosses. Uh, well, um, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing it short by just introing it like that. Putting it a little strong, I had a chance to observe uh, okay. totalitarianism, in fact, and uh, being a, a bit of a history buff, casually, yeah, see that uh, we're not only living in the, the best uh, the best country there ever is, but then uh, the secret is out thanks to uh, first of all books, but then the internet that uh, when you release uh, everybody. Uh, uh, 
the, the creativity of folks, uh, their, their desire, their dreams, good things happen. Uh, uh, one thing that has, uh, that has hit me, how lucky we are, uh, I want to tell you uh, my observation of what has happened just uh, within my lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, if you go, I was born in 1948. There, yes, I'm 73. Thank you very okay. much. Okay. Well, I wouldn't guess 73. <laughs> Thank You're you. You're doing good at 73. I work on it. Uh, uh, just a few decades before I was born, the best and the brightest and the most wealthy in the world said, forget about flying. You are not meant to fly in. You're wasting my time. You're wasting my money. Go and invent politician, uh, uh, penicillin. So it went something like that. And then the bicycle boys happened. Two bicycle mechanics answered one of the most vexing problems in the history of mankind from the time that we could observe birds. We wondered what it'd be like to fly. And they figured it out. It is not inconsequential that a couple of bicycle mechanics did it in this country because they knew that if they exist, uh, exercise their genius, their sweat, their perseverance, their determination, they could figure this stuff out. And they did. And the earth as, as, um, uh, as a, a big techie once said, tilted on its access. Now I make the point here, go forward. Don't forget flight something impossible, go forward. If I'm blessed with living another uh, uh, 20 years or so, I will see people on Mars. Think about it. From buggy whips huh. to spaceships in little more than one lifetime, we are so lucky. You think we'll, you think we'll be on Mars in 20 years? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are, there are uh, well, we've landed there, and they are already building the uh, infrastructure and the science, et cetera, et cetera, to take people there. It'll be a one-way trip. And those, what, yeah. first, those first people will realize that. But, yeah, they'll be on Mars for sure. Uh, heck, they're, they're talking about uh, uh, putting a small colony on the moon already, and that's going to happen. Why, why haven't we gone back to the moon in so long, do you think? Distracted. Uh, but now we're not distracted because various other countries have it within their uh, capability to do so. So uh, it's a new world. Um, uh, we can rediscover it uh, and use that as a staging ground for who going who knows where. So uh, and then, you know, we get distracted with um, uh, the way that this country is evolving, the way that the world is evolving. And now we are ready. Private industry can do it now, if only one change. It doesn't take uh, uh, multiples of countries to do it. You have Virgin can do it. You have Amazon can do it. You, you know, on and on. So yeah. it's it's a new world. No, absolutely it is. In and what you in your writings you've talked about. Um, it's a horrible quick change of subject here, but with the, like your new wave leader and leader leadership matters and you know staying focused in direction things are going. So like, what are some of the obstacle obstacles and hurdles you've seen in leadership that people are facing that you know on why for better or worse like it's a you know a big idea going to the moon but in other things it's just regular life like yeah. the obstacles people are facing. um let me let me uh, take a piece of that question yeah. Rob, if i may absolutely um 
the reason that I talk about obstacles uh, and then the the ancient greats talk about this all the time and the modern philosophers that uh, obstacles in life happen. Your attitude towards them matter. Uh, what was it? Uh, a guy named uh, Will Shakespeare. Somebody said uh, that uh, it's neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. Right? Yeah. Um, so, um, and we we confront obstacles every day, and some people are defeated by those obstacles. It, it could be anything. For me, IT is the bane of my existence. It seems that every time I turn around, this this moldy technology is uh, taking its taken on its own life. But um, what we found out is, in fact, there's there's a, a great book. Uh, I have it over here. Can't put my hand on it, but one of the guy that in, uh, built one of the biggest hedge funds ever. He built it on the theory that obstacles make you stronger. Okay. So um, the, the people that are, are hit with something that they seem uh, think is impossible are defeated. But if you take a look at that particular obstacle, analyze, first of all, yourself and your reaction to it, and that gets back to character, the two aspects of character, introspection and humility, you really have to analyze yourself, get ego out of the way. Then after you analyze yourself, you take a look at what's wrong with the system and how you can improve the system in a circular path. You come to a consensus uh, when, when you pick the most rational thing to do, notice you don't get analysis paralysis, you act. Because reality will always teach you the way, the direction, right? right? And what he says, his trajectory for succeeding in life is actually a pigtail. You know, you, you try an idea and you're riding high and then boom, you're knocked out. And you do the analysis and introspection and arriving at consensus and you get back on the upper trajectory and you're going in this upper trajectory and boom, you get knocked out again, right? Or all along the trajectory of your life or your project, what have you, is going upward and it makes you strong. Why? Because every failure gives you confidence that you can confront the next one. Um, and nobody gets out of this life without some struggle. So you might as well embrace it, you know, and it, um, I, I talk about this stuff, but you know, I, I uh, work with stuff every day, you know, yeah. trying to get to the gym, for example. Right. <laughs> no, it makes me think of the Olympics are going on right now. And those are usually the best stories of when people overcome an obstacle, like they overcome an injury. Oh, yeah. Overcome something to go get on, you know, to go win a medal. Those are the stories we we hold on to, like the gymnast of was it in the 90s or 2000s did that did the. I can't even, I don't know the, like, it's on the highlights every time you watch the summer. Olympics. Oh, yeah. But she, you know, she does the pommel horsing jump and then she's basically doing it with, on one ankle. Yeah. And everybody talks about, you know, and when in hindsight, she didn't need to do that to win. But at the time, they didn't know that. And, you know, it's like those are the stories everyone remembers. True, true. Um, uh, Except they don't remember the details of the names of the event and the person because I'm getting to that. When you get to my age, Jim, you'll understand. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that was, you, you mentioned the uh, the Olympics, and they had a famous commercial about a guy going off the, the uh, ski jump. You know, the uh, the agony of defeat with a guy just, just bashing down the, the, oh. the, uh, the, if you remember that little bit uh, and so forth. But the, the guy made it and went back to compete. 
Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I could go on and on. Um, you know, for example, um, you know what um, has uh, happened to me personally. Mm-hmm. I could I could go on and on. No, absolutely. Um, um, uh, let me let me if I may. Uh, the, 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 I'm remembering some of the uh, the stories uh, uh, and so forth. Uh, it's okay. The mostly true ones. <laughs> the mostly true. Okay, fair enough. Um, Those are the so, best ones. You know, for uh, for example. Um, I, uh, had my shoulder, I had both of my shoulders repaired. Uh, that oh, way. wow. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm doing fine over here, but when I did left shoulder, I see we have a mirror image here, but when I did my left shoulder, um, I was in, uh, in, in recovery and so forth in the mobile mobilization sling on and on. And, um, I started to get a pain down my right side. Uh, at the time, the person who was supposed to be giving me in-home care essentially said, uh, take two of these and see me in the morning kind of thing. Hmm. Well, it got worse. Uh, then I uh, did all I could. I called 911, and I had six emergency texts hanging around the uh, hanging around my bed deciding what to do. And, of course, it was off to the hospital. Uh, getting wheeled around the hospital from this test to that test and so forth, they finally deduced that I had... Uh, three, count them, three pulmonary embolisms. Oh, jeez. you know, anything about those, any one of those can kill you faster than a heart attack or a stroke because it blocks the artery to your lungs. The heart pushes against the immovable object. And for lack of the medical term, it explodes. Yeah. Right? And you're gone. So I had three of those puppies going through my system, and it was a matter of a, a, a shot in my belly uh, to to melt those embolisms. So, wow. Uh, afterwards, uh, afterwards, there's two parts of this story. I'm following up, and I'm meeting with the surgeon who did my shoulder, and um, uh, this is close to what he said. He goes, "Jim, you're most likely with us today." because you are well conditioned. He didn't say that you exercised. He didn't say that you're in shape. He said you are well conditioned because that means, uh, my interpretation of that is, is I'm a fellow who works on the trilogy of the human condition, body, mind, and spirit. So you learn how to thrive and you're ready to take those, those things that um, are thrown your way. As an aside, if I may, um, uh, any questions so far? Because there's there's a little uh, humor as well, less than humor. Oh, oh yeah. no, I'm just writing some notes down so I can ask you. Keep going. So, um, you know, um, uh, part of my recovery is I could walk, yeah. right? I mean, they didn't cut my legs off. So I'm <laughs> uh, walking down Davis Drive here in old Morrisville, North Carolina, and I come to an intersection, and I'm very, very careful. I look at the light. Yep, I got the light. I look across the street, and got the little yellow man. He's probably blinking at me, counting it down. And I look at the drivers that I'm going to pass. I got the little white line, so I'm set to go. And the other thing that I do is, is I've learned to look at the drivers in their eyes when I'm crossing an intersection. Oh, yeah. More than likely, they're doing what? Oh, yeah. No. So I'm looking, I go past the first car, you know, okay, we're connecting. And then I looked in another car. It was a, 
uh, a mom probably going to um, taking the daughter somewhere, distracted by the daughter. Dark windows. I thought for sure that we connected um, eyeball to eyeball. So I got even with the car, and true, mm -hmm. I got even with the car, right? Even with her hood ornament. And she treated that hood ornament like the reticle on a sniper rifle. <laughs> it uh, the gas. Oh, jeez. So in one of those soccer mom uh, vehicles, you know, it scooped oh, yeah. me up. Oh, yes, it did. Scooped me up, flipped me over 180 degrees, and I landed looking at her inside her driver's side window. Wow. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> I was a little disoriented. <laughs> a little bit, you know, and so forth. The guy, the guy that I passed up, his jaw was literally on his uh, chest. Wow. <laughs> walked to the, you know, walked to the other side, still a little dis discombobulated. I think that's a word. And, uh, <laughs> and she drove off and uh, that was that. But um, wow. uh, first thing I, I did. I Way had, to hit the landing though. I, I for, first thing that goes through your head and this is happening in fractions of a second. Yeah. And I thought, oh no, oh no, I've wrecked my shoulder. And then I thought, oh no, oh no, what am I going to tell my surgeon? And then I thought, <laughs> Oh well, maybe I don't have to tell him. <laughs> and then, then I realized that I wasn't hurt, Rob. I wasn't hurt. That's amazing. And it's um, you know, they're trying to be uh, trying to be well conditioned. No, I'm not bulletproof. Boy, do I realize that. Yeah. But it's all in uh, being ready for tomorrow. Being ready for tomorrow, just part of putting a whole life together. Yeah. Then, talk, go ahead. You talk about getting, uh, you know, preparing yourself for prepping yourself with the body, mind, and soul. What do you, specifically, what do you do for your body? What's your... Uh, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the body, of course, is broken down into um, uh, the diet and exercise, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, I'm not a freak over this. I will have an adult beverage at night, but I just have one, right? Yeah. So um, uh, you just take a look at what a balanced meal is like. You have a certain amount of uh, carbs. There are good carbs to have, whole uh, whole grains, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, protein, usually uh, chicken or fish, and just enough to fit in the palm of your hand. There's another way to measure it too. This is not science over here. That you you want to have um, uh, open palm over here. You have the uh, 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 about the size of a deck of cards as your protein. Mm -hmm. Carbs. Um, uh, fats, uh, fats, protein, and then you hold your hand open and this, uh, how many vegetables that you should have. Right. Yeah. And it, uh, that type of meal can be put together, uh, three times a day, but, um, um, learn what portion control is, et cetera, et cetera. My it, wife and I talk about that here cause she's yeah. traveled. She's more internationally traveled than I am. And she's like, she's like, when you go to, she's like, if we ever get back to be able to go back to Italy or to Europe, she's like, you're going to have to learn how to eat how they do because they you know it's not the same at red robin as it is to uh oh wow yeah um and, and then you know do you have a, a holiday a holiday feast with everybody around and all these great food over there just take a look take mm -hmm. a pause sample everything but fill your plate once that's all etc mm -hmm. etc et so um diet then exercise um you need to put together a regimen so that you build a habit of exercise, mm -hmm. right? Um, if I may, I'll explain uh, what I do. And by the way, I'm just uh, coming back now uh, because um, I uh, 
uh, having a little uh, spinal condition. If you don't mind over here, it's just age. My spine is compressing. That's yeah. it's normal. So uh, with uh, exercise, uh, started in the morning with a guided meditation. Yes, a guided meditation. You can do that. Uh, I use calm.com. Mm -hmm. uh, 10 minutes guided. Uh, it, it fits throughout the day when you have the habit of a meditation. Then for exercise, I do strength training Mondays and Fridays. I do a CrossFit Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is what I call gentlemanly CrossFit. So it's body weight, so there's the little dumbbells and so forth. But it works on what? It works on core. Yep. The thing that lets us down the most is your core. You know, yep. you get a, a bigger belly, but that's where, where our stabilization is and so forth. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I go swimming. And, um, you know, because the, the, my, the doc that's managing me wants me to get back to doing some yoga, which I'll do on Thursdays. Nice. Um, and then, you know, weekends I might uh, do some uh, biking or spinning. So what you do with the regimen like that, um, uh, let me back up. Yeah. If you put that together, you put that together five days a week, you notice that there's variety in there because of the priorities you have. When you're young, when we are young, it's it's strength and endurance. How much weight can you push and how far can you run? Yep. Okay. It's good when you're young, as long as you when when you're young. But your priorities start reversing. What's more important that you learn uh, flexibility, mm -hmm. speed, and balance. Right, those go first. So, what do you do? You do a CrossFit, which emphasizes uh, the balance and uh, doing uh, 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 balancing on one foot, uh, yoga, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and coordination and speed. You'll do some do some appropriate jogging. Then you work on in uh, the endurance and strength, age appropriately. Mm -hmm. I have uh, one of the things that um, the the words to live by, if you will. I call the formula for life S cubed, right? S cubed, okay. All right. When Whatever you do, it has to stand the test of that it is simple mm -hmm. because you can do something that is so complex, you won't be able to understand it, let alone do it, um, uh, but not simpler. Thank you, Einstein. <laughs> then it has to be suitable, which means it's age appropriate and, you know, male or female, your particular body composition, et cetera, et cetera and sustainable you have to be able to build it into a habit of your daily life so um uh, the the regimen i just explained to you fits those tests mm -hmm. right so i like to, i like to pose this question and i'll pose it to you mm -hmm. working out five days a week and on the weekends um keep up with the hobby i shoot ski that's, oh nice that's another story <laughs> um, <laughs> five days a week including the meditation where we do a, 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 an evening meditation also, but how many hours a week does that take me to do? I'm not talking about driving to the gym or towering. Uh, I would guess you can probably get each one of them done in on average 20 to 30 minutes a day of the act. Like you said, of the act of time doing it, if not, so, you know, so you're looking at what two to three hours a week. Um, I, I should have, uh, explain to you the the things that I do when I go swimming. I swim a mile. 
Okay, so that takes about an hour to do there. Right. So actually, that is about five hours. Okay. Five hours. But then you fit it into your routine. When you get up in the morning, seven o'clock, whoop, it's time to go. So it becomes part of the day. Yeah. Also, not only keeps you more, uh, 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 your your mental acuity, um, you you, um, sleep well at night, uh, then you can tackle the day, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I know. I sleep way better after I get a jog in or a workout. Well, there you go. There you Absolutely. go. I could, I could go on with uh, how it affects. Um, uh, take this meditation. People, a lot of people say, ah, I don't have time for that. You know, what are these guys, you know, purple robes and a little bowl and all that stuff. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not like that at all. In fact, many of the people on top of their game, whether it be sports, business, uh, hobbyists or what have you, throw a little meditation in. I know with with my particular hobby, I, I love to read too. Uh, thank goodness for books. As an aside, I'm reading Anna Karenina for the first time. Wonderful. Okay. Anyway, um, so um, uh, when you do that, you can evoke it all day long. Shooting a good skeet shot comes from your unconscious. The bird is so variable, flying, et cetera, et cetera, the speed, et cetera, et cetera, that you cannot use your conscious mind to measure the correct lead, the trajectory, et cetera, et cetera, the speed. So you have to have your instinct take over. And how do you evoke your instinct? With meditation. When I, uh, between the shots, I'm practicing breathing and relaxing. When I step on the station, I can feel gravity pull my face down with relaxation, so you're in the correct mindset. Then you imagine the shot and you go ahead and shoot. Um, I can go on and on. Driving, you know, you, your back gets whacked out with driving, then you just calm down, slow down, and um, uh, uh, meditate. All the tools are out there. You just have to build the habits of doing it. Um, uh, oh, absolutely. I, I, do, I do get carried away over here. So That's okay. Uh, you asked the question, so uh, I'll give you the answer. That's fine. You, so you mentioned by, uh, body, then the mind. You mentioned reading. What else do you do for your mind then to sort of prepare your mind? And meditation, uh, I'm sure. Is yeah, uh, reading, thinking, and writing. But what it means, uh, the body, mind, spirit thing, is uh, doing something that gets you up in the morning. It gives you zest, mm-hmm. right? You know, whether it's a challenging project. Uh, whether it's keeping up with family, whether it's uh, working on a hobby, um, it um, uh, puts puts that spark in the day. Uh, and that's another thing that gets screwed up. When you say body, mind, and spirit, it takes a religious overtone. While um, organized religion is very, very good, however you arrive at spirituality is a good thing. So, um, but it gets uh, this uh, body, mind, and spirit actually gets back to ancient philosophy where they talked about living the good life. And the good life is uh, understanding the difference between extremes. They say, for example, it is okay, Rob, to get angry. It's part of being human, but you must get angry at the right time, the right way, in front of the right person for the right reasons and then get in and out of the emotion and move on. People who stay angry all the time are not happy. <laughs> it's an interesting thought on that because even like in the Bible where it talks about like, like you're allowed to be angry, but like I said, at the right things. Yes. Um, well, that's, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was, was it religion or was it philosophy? 
uh, I think that there is a whole lot, well, I'll even agree that there is a whole lot of uh, uh, ancient philosophy in, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. So um, it's, um, uh, it's a good thing. The thing is, is to put it all together in its simplest form. Hence, I have those uh, words to live by, like, you know, whatever you're doing, simple, suitable, and sustainable. You know, and then put the 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 uh, the whole body condition together, body, mind, and spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so, when you're saying the good life, do you basically mean like not living in the not hanging out in the extremes too long? No, uh, not at all. Um, life is about moderation. How much is went? You know, it's it's, it's I, I've jumped out of an airplane before. I've been uh, diving in the South China Sea. Uh, my father came home from World War II after blasting runways out of the uh, New Guinea jungles. And uh, when you know how to use dynamite on a farm back there in the 50s, you would not <laughs> believe how many things need to be blowed up. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, and you, um, you talk about part of the good life is just understanding what virtue is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I ran across an article where 10 people wrote a three page article and they put in 30, um, 30 virtues. Mm -hmm. Nobody can understand that. Yeah. Let alone execute on it. So you go back to the uh, cardinal virtues, understand what justice is, what courage is, what, um, uh, wisdom is and frugality is right. So, uh, that's it. And then you match that with character. Character is simply introspection and humility. That's it. What's, it what, what's interesting you say that is because there's a, a book written in not too recent history about, you know, the book of virtues, like listing virtues. Uh -huh. And of all the things, and you said it a few times already, but it, I don't believe it was listed in the book, was humility. It shows kind of like the American culture and what it, it's kind of what it shows as virtuous versus what, like, as you're, you know, you keep going to like, you know, the eight ancient philosophers or ancient thinkers, but like in the American culture, humility is not considered a virtue. Uh, it Well, then here's why um, you need to be careful about your terms and yeah. how you define them. That's why. Um, and you see, you're, um, thank you for making my point because now uh now we're engaged in the definition of what is proper for each condition and that is living a good life you need to have uh live it virtuously the greats have defined what virtue is and they're the four cardinal virtues no matter how many you try to attach to it and then when you talk about uh, humility that's part of character which you build concurrently as you study virtue because it takes constant practice uh, i'll give you one definition you take mm -hmm. justice that's a big word but justice merely means knowing what's right and wrong and doing the right thing in the middle of the night when no one is looking and so how do you define how do you find right and wrong it takes reading and study and um uh, thinking and acting whenever you have a decision to make small especially mm -hmm. things start small it has a component of um uh, right and wrong to it right yeah it could be a simple thing uh when you see um 
when uh, when you see uh, a woman in a wheelchair struggling to get into the restroom, this happened not too long ago, uh, you go and help her along. A lot of people would say, ah, not my business, not my business. No, that's not right. But giving her a little uh, assistance, that's the right thing to do. So then also you could go back and uh, talk about, um, the, the, let's say, the four cardinal virtues. You don't need to learn anymore. It's enough when you define those things to spend a lifetime. And that's the wonderful thing about uh, being on this earth is, is that we can learn to the very end and we can get better to the very end. In fact, Cicero makes a great case uh, talking about, you know, friendship and how to live the good life. Absolutely. So then in the virtues, where would not returning your shopping cart to the cart corral land on terribleness? That would be justice because um, uh, that's that's right and wrong. And you see, you've you've applied a really profound concept to everyday living. Oh yeah, no, it's one of my hugest pet peeves that and people not picking up their dog crap. Yeah, uh, well then you can get you know, get back to um, you know, just trying to be a good human being too. Oh yeah, uh, and it uh, we get detached in this. Well, all over the world, we we do get detached, whether it's by uh, uh, the government policy or media or whatever. Um, uh, I wish for everybody to read. Uh, oh, there's no excuse not to read because you, you can get how many formats can you get it in, Rob? You oh, it's it. endless. Uh, unbelievable. Oh, I'm a book with you. I'm I'm a big Audible fan. I listen to a lot of books. I just yeah. I just it's a I can you know it's easier. I don't listen to them while I drive because I, I lose attention to them. Also, I'm like, crap, where was I at in the book? And then you're just always rewinding to figure out where you're at because we got to pay attention when you're driving. So I'm going to run my, I'm going to run a theory by you, sort of see what you think. Oh, all see, right. Yeah. You know, you're, you, have, you have a few more rings in the tree and I see if I'm getting, if I'm, if I'm close on this because you talk about with people and their philosophy. And I have, I think in general, it's a general statement. So there's always the, you know, the, you know, the outliers but for the most part i think a lot of people and we'll narrow it down to like the american culture you know they think they're good people and their their definition of good is if it's good for me if it, and if and, and then their qualifiers like and it doesn't really hurt anybody else where i don't know if that's a a good overall philosophy because like you said with you know characters doing the right thing in the dark when no one's looking but if for some reason there's you know say you can take advantage of a big corporation or a big company big organization because you think you deserve more than whatever for whatever reason and but you've agreed to x but you think you should get a b and c as well it's like so then there's a justification of going well it's good for me but it hurts the corporation. Like, yeah, it's just, it doesn't hurt anyone specifically. It's, you know, a big corporation that I should get more for, you know, whatever. And so then it's good for them. So it's, it's righteous for them in their opinion. Then I know it's a lot of broad terms and non-specifics, but it's a general idea where I think a lot of people are at, where if they could, you know, take advantage of a situation that to them, that doesn't hurt anyone and it's good for them but it could be an unethical situation to do it. They'll still do it and justify it as righteous because I deserve this. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you've, uh, you, you've helped me here in uh, explaining what I'm trying to explain. 
that that attitude toward life has a couple of well uh, uh, many aspects a lot of dynamics but i'll try to simplify it yeah uh when you when you study the cardinal virtues how much is enough you know why do you really need to go after that next big kill at work right Mm -hmm. how much do you really need and is it cooperative is it collaborative uh and so forth Uh, so many aspects to it but you get back to defining the essence of what it is to live the good life and it is defined this way simply by the greats to be good do good for the common good and that in in fact when you exercise that is actually scientific the science is out it's a great book written over here called conscience by pat churchland where the science actually modern science knew uh, proved what the greats knew 2,500 years ago that when you are good, you prune your brain in the direction of continuing to do good. It's logical. So you actually snip off synapses that do not help you do good and build synapses, uh, synaptic connections that helps you continue in that way. If you want to think about how we evolved as a species, we evolved as a group We are very social and what makes us different from other animals is we are not only highly social but we can reason so our brains evolved in working together in a group because that's how we survive do you think go ahead do you think the inverse is true where it's like where if someone does evil long enough that their synapses are cut off to do good it um your brain will help you be bad yes it will um so you can put the, the virtues together. How much is enough? Do you really need to go into that kill? And uh, then you uh, define the good life as being good, doing good for the common good. Then you ask the quintessential question. Once you state those truths, restate them from the greats, is how do you be good? How do you um, do good? And then how do you do good for the common good? Um, and, uh, and there are so many things quickly to talk about. Uh, why do you want to do that? Well, first of all, it's a great way to live life. It gets you over the obstacles. You mm-hmm. earn respect. It's uh, a much better way, uh, much better way to go through this society that we live in. But um, you get an appreciation for time, mm-hmm. right? That's the only thing that we cannot get back once it's spent. So, so, so an that, interesting thought on the time there is so, cause my wife works in HR. So she comes across a ton of interesting stories and uh, she works for a global tech company. So it's really interesting what they come across and you say time and I've, we, it's a, uh, there was a study out there and I'm going to butcher the, I'll get the general ideas of the study here and I can send you the link to the article if you'd like, but they basically gave a group of people They go, here's some extra money, go buy stuff. And they did a pre and post survey on their happiness. It's famous studies. Yeah. And it's like, and virtually no different when they had extra stuff, but then they did another control group and they said, you know, same before and after, but they said this time, go do stuff that saves you time. Like, uh, hire someone to help clean the house, hire someone to go get your groceries, the chores of life that just take up time. And their happiness in the surveys went significantly higher from prior to doing those things. 
So the saving of time with money has, is, like you said, scientific could be arguably scientifically could make you happier. Mm-hmm. Buying stuff. Uh, the science behind uh, living well and doing good, the science be- behind happiness is, is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, people, I was just reading in the Wall Street Journal this morning over here, uh, Harvard, of all things, in the Harvard Business School over there, starting to, they has, has a course that's concerned with uh, uh, happiness. Because mm-hmm. they found out that when you figure this out, and it, it, again, there are, there are various things you can do to increase the happiness. Gee whiz, you're a better boss. You're more productive as a teen, uh, on and on. Yeah. But uh, uh, to uh, time is a big deal. And I'll make a couple of points over here. There are five ways you can use your time. You can have leisure. You can have maintenance, eating and sleeping, uh, fixing the fixing the leaky faucet. <laughs> um, you have work for pay, rest, and relaxation, and then and put that leisure in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all depends. What is the most, as far as living a good life and being productive, what is the most important of those five ways? You know, maintenance, rest, relaxation, uh, working for money, and leisure. It depends on where you would define like spending time with loved ones. Dude, it, I, I, don't, that, I think that can fall in a number of different right. categories there. So, yeah. So here's, uh, we go again, go back. I wish I could have some original thoughts with this stuff. I'm just <laughs> this from a lot of reading. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, really. Like even some of the thoughts when you was like ancient yeah. philosophers, but today, like they're not thinking, there aren't too many new things coming out. It's being re, re, rephrased and re, you know. Yeah. Right, right. Um, um, if I if I can continue on this point, it, um, so uh, I'll I'll cut to the chase and then I'll explain it over here. Leisure is the most important. If you define, you know, a, a good life, a happy life that I, I talk about, being good, doing good for the common good. Uh, you take maintenance. That takes uh, most of our day. By the time we eat and sleep and do what we need to uh, have food and shelter. Uh, then you have to work for pay. That's eight hours a day. You got 16 hours in the first two categories already, right? Usually. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have rest, which is vegging out in front of Netflix. (laughs) You have relaxation, which means that you might go for a walk, uh, you might go for camping, et cetera, et cetera, take up a hobby, and then leisure. But then they define leisure this way, Rob. Leisure is when you do the most good for the common good, right? Okay. That leads to, to a happy life. Um, uh, giving back. Uh, I'm going to make another point, too, about time. I'm talking about longevity now. And mm-hmm. you spend your allotted time on Earth. Um, a child born in the early 2000s, right? Not too much behind us. Uh, will live on average to be 104 years old and still be vital and vigorous, right? Hmm. So take a look at it this way. Let me break the numbers down. Um, we'll use today's numbers. So, you know, you need to grow up and you need to get educated and you need to work for pay. Say that you are able to save some and uh, put some money aside so you can retire when you're 55 or 60. Retire from work for money. You'll still continue to work, but you want to be able to quit if you wished, mm-hmm. right? So 
Uh, that leaves easily for this youngster born a little bit behind us, 40 years. You can have another career in retirement. What are you going to do with that gift of time? Is it going to be in, in the lazy boy with a six pack and the next sitcom? Or are you going to get out? and do something, you know, get involved, you know, you can volunteer, you can do some writing, just a gazillion things you can do if you prepare for it. You just can't wake up one day and say, ah, I'm retired, I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to volunteer for Habitat and Humanity. No, you have to prepare for that day, all right? Yep. You do, and it's much more rewarding that way. Not easy, not easy. You have to, you know, um, nose to the grindstone, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, I'm finding out myself is is to um, uh, really be okay with the fact that um, I spend some time reading, I do things like this, and then um, uh, uh, I got to get used to it. I got to get sucked into watching a little bit of Netflix, <laughs> be that as it may. What What are you watching on Netflix? Like, what's the like? My wife loves those docu murder series. Uh, yeah, well, first of all. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, take the easy way out. Everything you know, we do we do the documentaries and the uh, biographies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Uh, but then you know, then there's Peaky Blinders, then there's Ozark, and then there's Dexter. <laughs> so um, uh, intriguing, intriguing. Oh yeah, no, it's there was one of those. What was it? The Night Stalker. I don't know if you ever saw that one. It's the. Uh, no. Right. Oh, I was making sure I had my gun lo like in the magazines loaded. Right I was like, "This one's creepy." Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure it's at least nearby. Like, this is. Really is my it wife is. will watch that and fall right to sleep. I'm like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, time. Think about time. Think yeah. about time and how you're going to spend it. Uh, I also mentioned too that the greats point out that there are three things you don't have. You don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. Tell you what they mean. You have no control over your health, your wealth, or your reputation, which means they take the first one, health, you know, the Grim Reaper sometimes is indiscriminate or the health, uh, the maladies, et cetera, et cetera, accidents. Your wealth, it is every day you learn of somebody who put life savings into the sure thing and they're out there um, completely, uh, completely destitute. And then your reputation. You cannot stop people thinking about you the way they will. But the greats meant that does not mean you say, well, there's nothing left of life. You know, <laughs> give me the lazy boy. Anyhow, it means that, you know, prepare for longevity by managing your money, by knowing how much is enough. Mm -hmm. We can go after things that are pleasurable and it always leaves you empty waiting for the next pleasure. Um, uh, you know, I, I could go on with examples there. Yeah, it's the ways uh, you can sacrifice today for tomorrow. Yeah, right. So, um, you chunk a little money aside, and then uh, you work for your money, and your money will work for you. Uh, retire, um, retire early and retire often was my investment advice from a colonel one time. <laughs> and um, then you find out that you can cover your expenses if they're modest. Yep. Okay. And then uh, reputation, uh, you can work to be a good friend and be interesting and be honest. And then um, just get used to the fact that there are just some people who are not going to like you. No oh, yeah. But that does not mean you shouldn't try to be an interesting person, that you shouldn't try to be 
respected. Try to be a good friend and you're much better off. So, um, yeah, um, I should let you ask a couple of questions. Oh, it's fine. No, I enjoy listening. That's one of my one of my goals in this is to, like I told yeah. you, talk to interesting people with interesting stories that I can learn from. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, please, uh, uh, without uh, being too much in the salesman over here, uh, yeah. becoming becoming a new wave leader. My last name is James Klopovic. Klopovic. Mm -hmm. uh, principles and practices to live and lead well. Yeah, kind of summarized and digested in here. It's a, it's a quick and easy read. Yeah. Um, I put some personal stories in there. So um, it's uh, been reviewed extremely well, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. uh, General McChrystal, you know, Stanley McChrystal, four-star general of Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, he's a big consulting dude now in uh, um, the Washington area. Uh, Stan <laughs> uh, mentioned this is a deeply compelling argument for values and leadership, brilliantly crafted, entertaining and instructive, a must read for current and future leaders. Uh, but it's based on the fact that you got to learn how to live well first before you can lead. No, there's a, t there's a lot of truth in there where if you're not taking care of the way, you know, that you take care of yourself in life is how you reflect on other people. Oh yeah. Like, like how many times you see someone explode on someone over something minor. Yeah. But because they've let other things go in their life and there's that one little part where they think they can control where they blow up on someone. You know, if if you and your listeners uh don't uh mind uh you know we talked a little bit before we went on the air mm -hmm. about how the what is the the effect you have to the people around you. You have no idea how you can affect people positively and you can sure affect them negatively uh, a little piece here this is another one of my stories it'll take a minute to read this but um i call this words matter mm -hmm. so if y'all bear with me here you're supposed to see i grew up in the north but i've lived in the south here so I, <laughs> anyway um just a few words at the right time under the right circumstances to the right mind can be life-changing it can happen to you or because of you. Indeed, words can have an astounding effect for good or for ill and even make or break someone's success in life. An example, I offer this true story of a young man whose life was changed dramatically, permanently, excitingly by a few words. Words can alter destiny. This lad began life as the son of a Serbo-Croatian World War II vet and a mum from Australia, the result of a USO dance in Sydney after the war and several years of letters from his mum. The boy's life was formed by old world strictness and post-depression, post-World War II mentality. Hard work was central to survival. In high school, he was an unremarkable student with less than stellar presence. Although he wasn't a problem, he certainly showed no potential. He was just surviving. Unfortunate words became powerful determinants of his young life. His English teacher said that he couldn't write. His counselor told him he should, quote unquote, find a toolbox to make his way. A form of saying he would never be college material. Thus, he took up a toolbox and was skilled with a hammer, a screwdriver, and an adjustable wrench. His work on the family farm and the words of that counselor drove him to take the bus to an Air Force recruiter back in 1967 to become an aircraft mechanic. Words matter. 
So in the Air Force, he went off to basic training at Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, in the heat of the Texas summer. What a deal he had. Breakfasts, clothing, and a pair of black World War II jump boots, a stylish haircut, Friday fish day with all the fried shrimp he could eat, an unheard of remarkable treat, all for $83 a month. It was too good to be true. Will wonders never cease? The boy did well. It was off to tech school in Wichita Falls, Texas, to be a crew chief on one and two jet fighter, jet engine fighters. He could now take charge of his own fate. He buckled down. At the very end of the months-long aircraft maintenance course, the civilian instructor addressed the graduating class sitting in their long tables with a few words. Well, boys, we were all boys back then. <laughs> You've just finished the equivalent of 12 hours of college. Wow. Our young lad's heart swelled with the rush of adrenaline brought on by hard-fought, well-earned accomplishment and possibilities made real. His brain fairly erupted with thoughts of, I did that. I did that. I can do college. He was on fire for more college. Words matter. <clears throat> um, uh, his expanding world and education. The world got large, very large, as he traveled to Southeast Asia, deplaning at Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines, stepping off the plane in the tropics, took this Ohio boy's breath away. He was soon, uh, he soon discovered uh, it also melted the polish on his jump boots. <laughs> as soon as he could, our boy enrolled in college at the University of Maryland, Yes, back on the other side of the world. He had to mail his lessons. <clears throat> so even doing a course lickety-split took beyond six months. At that rate, he figured it would take him about 800 years to finish a degree. Hmm. Consequently, he enrolled in the University of the Philippines on base. With his used Honda 90, a bean pot helmet, and a bungee strap for his gym bag full of books, it was full throttle to night school, revving that Honda up to 25 miles an hour on the straightaway. He was driven and disciplined, yet the words of his high school teacher and counselor still haunted him, and he was dreadfully afraid of failing. However, as a warrior, he launched a lifelong quest to understand the power of words. Every spare moment around his six-day work weeks of 10-hour days, he, dedica he, he dedicated to the books. He took to running places to get unscheduled exercise, running a mile to the outdoor movie, which cost 50 cents with a book to read before the Star Spangled Banner played. He continued with Psychology 101 and History 101, taking volumes and notes and even taking notes on his notes. The young man was learning, especially the power of words, and he did well, very well. His professors were encouraging. Words mattered. And back to the States and more school. Next, it was to San Antonio, Texas, Carswell Air Force Base, to crew FB-111s. More heat and more school. He immediately enrolled in Texas Christian University, classes on base and on campus. He was a real college student. Time mattered, too. In that two years with 16-hour days, he worked as the non-commissioned officer for, squadron, for the squadron maintenance training and got a pilot's license and airframe and power plant licenses also. On top of it all, he worked as a part-time manager for a roast beef sandwich store. It was a good thing this boy with a toolbox started out on the farm with a solid work ethic. He thought everyone worked 16-hour days. 
He also went to school full-time, considering summer school semesters. In two years, he accrued 48 hours of college. He built a desk next to his barracks bed so he could, and did, roll off his chair at night directly into bed and roll back onto that chair in the morning to resume reading right where he left off. Hmm. Given a suggestion by his commander, he applied for the Airman Education and Commissioning Program. To his surprise, he was selected to attend Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, Oklahoma. One of the first things he did was to buy a season football pass. He went to one whole game and about 15 minutes of another, then no more. Why? Games took too long. The books demanded attention. He was a college student, after all. Though he studied seven days a week, he did his best to balance his day by eating, sleeping, studying, and recreating, each in its own time. He loved racquetball. While he maintained his skill with tools, the young man left the toolbox far behind. He wasn't the smartest one in the bunch, but he was driven and consistent. In 18 months, he had a bachelor's degree, number one in his college for that year. Then he became a lieutenant. He returned to Lackland Air Force Base for officer training school. It was six years from the day the tech school instructor had told the boys that they'd accomplished the equivalent of 12 hours college, sparking him, uh, sparking him a fire for learning. Imagine that, the boy with a toolbox. Words matter. He still needed more training, five months and two days to learn how to be an aircraft maintenance officer. Yes, officer. When he became a second lieutenant, his parents beamed. His dad introduced him as lieutenant wherever they went. His mom smiled in her Australian-British way. Again, all went well. His first assignment was to George Air Force Base on the high desert above Los Angeles, just down the road from Roy Rogers' home. In fact, uh, that boy shot a little trap with Roy Rogers. <laughs> as an aside, he met the crooning cowboy whose friends knew him as Leonard Franklin's uh, sly on the trap range. Our new lieutenant's first job was an officer in charge of a section of 118 people. And within four months, he was in charge of several sections of 400 mechanics. And before the year is out, he was the maintenance officer for the entire squadron of 720 people. He was oh. about 25 years old and he was already, he already, he did well, the product of a few spoken words. Then speeding through his life trajectory, now a captain uh, in this little tale, he, he was selected by the Department of Defense to advise the Imperial Iranian Air Force on the Persian Gulf during the fall of the Shah and the rise of the Islamists. That experience will take another installment. <laughs> he was then selected for his first command with the Field Training Detachment 311 at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa. He was not yet 29. His detachment produced the Instructor of the Year. For all 39 detachments sprinkled worldwide, he wrote a checklist to certify the detachment to grant college credits, uh, which went to all the field training detachments to him because college was important. Next, believe it or not, he was selected to be on the faculty of Arizona State University. Pause and imagine for a moment. He was about 30 years of age. Now we get to the core of this example of the impact words can achieve. One of the captain's many responsibilities to, to be was to be the area director of recruiting for Arizona and New Mexico. Part of the position involved managing high school junior ROTC units. Soon he discovered he could start new units, so he investigated. 
He called headquarters Maxwell in Montgomery, Alabama. Nope, Captain, he was told, you can't start a unit because you're in the land of Goldwater. You remember that politician? <laughs> he ran for president. He has all his allotments filled. Momentary disappointment. The young captain dug deeper. Experience had taught him persistence matters. He called again and presented his case for alternatives. Words matter. Well, came the answer. Other states haven't filled their quotas. Would you like to? Absolutely he would. So our mechanic started two units back in the early 80s, and they still exist today. What you may ask is the purpose of junior ROTC units? In a word, citizenship. Youngsters in their most formative years learn citizenship, discipline, purpose, working in groups for a mission, and much more. Many come from working class homes, more than a few disadvantaged. The program instills in them pride, purpose, and their potential. Imagine the uncountable thousands of youngsters who received this foundation and encouragement, and so many, many hundreds who went on to further education, trade schools, and college, and a double handful over the years even earned appointments to the U.S. Air Force Academy, all because a boy heard those few words and came to believe he could do college. So the story still continues. That boy, now a man in his later years, continues doing his best to improve himself and contribute to the common good. I'm sure you've guessed now, uh, you've guessed that that boy who couldn't write and was advised to get a toolbox stands figuratively before you. A published author with more publishing in sight, a retired major, James Klopovic, doctor of public policy. As someone who once questioned my own potential, not only do I believe in yours, but it would do my heart good to know that you will likewise encourage those around you to believe in theirs. Words matter. No, good job. So, hope you don't mind that. Every word is true. So that's not part of the words, somewhat, somewhat true stories. No, this that, that was <laughs> my life. Just because one instructor told told us we did 12 hours uh, in a draft maintenance officer school. And then um, you, you just don't know the, the effect your trajectory has. And, you know, how many people are you reaching, Rob? Who knows how many people you're reaching? It's uh, good on you. Yeah. No, very good. And if people want to follow up with you, they can get the book on Amazon, Becoming a New Wave Leader, Principles and Practice to Live and Lead Well. Yes. And they can also go to your publishing site. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Aff Affinitas. Affinitaspublishing.org. Affinitas. I'll put a link to that in the description here as well. Yeah. Got it. So any closing words before we wrap this up? Yeah. Um, work hard. Fail often. Do well. Words to live by there. Yeah. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the time. No, I appreciate you doing this. It was a fun. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Absolutely. Hold on.